This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, your hosts, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins, will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today is Monday, the close of the market. Uh, we saw you know, the Dow Jones go up 1.68%. We saw S&P was up 1.8%. Uh, 10-year, you know, rallied a little bit. It's now yielding 0.775%. I mean, ultimately, a lot of the optimism and uptick in the market was due to the fact that President Trump will be leaving Walter Reed. Uh, He, of course, went there under this weekend uh, due to COVID-19 complications. Uh, After a rough Friday, I guess he is in much better shape. So as a result, we saw the yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury gain three basis points. This was the highest since September 1st. And likewise, the yield on the 30-year Treasury bond also jumped five basis points to hitting 1.53. Uh, that's the highest since August 31st. Uh, Grant, any movers and shakers today? Well, I think you, you summed it up pretty well there. We saw the market drop a little bit on Friday when it was reported that President Trump had COVID, and now uh, upon him leaving the hospital, we, we did see the Dow jump a little bit. I think another thing driving the market, which we'll get into a little bit, is more of the stimulus talks, uh, both parties and, and Donald Trump even tweeting saying, get the job done. Uh, some of the big movers we saw uh, were Spartan Energy, uh, really announced that they're going a combination with another electric car company, and then a couple biotech movers, and, and that's really associated with Uh, vaccine talks. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, a lot of the chatter is, you know, if we think that September was confusing, then we got to buckle up for October. Uh, Because one, we're in the heart of election season. Uh, There's certainly been a lot of uncertainty regarding the election, especially, I mean, typically, we've had an October surprise with this year's news cycle. I don't know if Trump getting COVID is going to be an October surprise. Uh, I mean, we might see Godzilla next week. Uh, There might be locusts. I mean, who the hell knows, right? But uh, for the time being, let's assume that is one of our October surprises. Uh, So we just have a really rocky and hectic election cycle. Um, Also, stimulus has been, um, you know, there's been a lot of conflicting information in terms of... um, where they are in terms of progress. I mean, Nancy Pelosi and Steve Mnuchin have seemed positive, but then, um, you know, Mitch McConnell has also indicated he would be a grim reaper as well on a price tag of $2.2 trillion. So that's very much up in the air as well. Well, another thing to remember is they have to work through the stimulus, and then we also have the uh, new appointee for the Supreme Court nominee mm-hmm. that they're trying to push through as well. So Congress has their work cut out for them. You make a couple of good points there about October being rocky, and I think there's a couple other things we should add. One big thing is reopening, as well as we're seeing a large increase of layoffs. So we see Disney. Uh, if there isn't stimulus for airlines, we could see a lot of furloughs and layoffs there as well as uh, Shell. So being able to see if if reopening and bringing some workers on can, can weather the storm there. Also, another big thing is the uh, vaccine. We're seeing that when there's good news about a vaccine coming out, we're seeing markets jump up, whereas when there's negative, we're, we're seeing markets dip. And that's nothing new, but continue to see, especially as we've seen President Trump promise a vaccine before 
the election in November. And then another big one that we talked previously on, on the podcast last week is really to see if this China trade war heats up, to see if there is any retaliation by the Chinese really falling towards the the larger tech companies, as we discussed, as well as the, the semiconductor market. Yeah, look, I mean, we also got to consider valuations um, and, and reopenings. As you mentioned, uh, there's been a string of layoffs, um, you know, Disney, Shell. Uh, but we've also got some fairly s- solid economic data, too. Um, Chicago's PMIs, uh, pending home sales, consumer confidence, all those numbers have been very strong. Uh, and then in terms of valuations, I mean, we've seen companies like Apple um, trading very hectically. So traders is just, you know, they it's, it's un, unsure if, you know, they have a really good pulse on, on where valuations stand or, or if anyone does for that matter. I think that's a great point. I, really, I think the market is really largely dominated by the momentum around COVID and really not by fundamental analysis around earnings or valuation. That's why we're seeing such, such large swings. I mean, if we just take a look at Apple, for example, Apple moves in a better range of, of 20% in a month. So, you know, when, when, you're looking at one of the most valuable or biggest stocks in the U.S. And, and it's trading in such a big range. You know, traders don't really know what's going on with their valuation. But as a whole, I think we will see a lot of earnings beat expectations. Analysts seem to be underestimating the, the extent of how the U.S. economy is, is slowly improving. So uh, one thing should be noted is that we did see a 21 decline in earnings. That's still a big drop, but beating expectations is is always good, and only 67 of the S&P 500 companies have issued uh, earnings per share guidance for the third quarter, which is usually below average. But uh, big thing to watch for is the continuing reopening story. If that becomes rocky, as we just described in October, that could derail some of the optimism, and it could be a rough couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, earnings estimates for S&P 500's third quarter are 3.75% higher uh, now than they were at the start of the quarter. Um, You know, and it seems like the initial reporting, uh, you know, you had FedEx up, AutoZone, Nike, um, you know, several companies – have certainly certainly have come out with decent decent numbers for earnings season. Um, One sector that is obviously – Ben, we've been talking about a lot, but that's been underperforming is the energy sector. I mean, you're looking at S&P energy stocks have underperformed the index's 10 other sectors over a range of time. Um, So, I mean, what do we make about this, Grant? I mean, certainly, I mean, oil prices have declined 32% this year, and we've seen energy select sector, um, the Spider Fund, which tracks energy stocks, has lost nearly 50%. Um, But, you know, there might be uh, instances where the tide is turning on some of these energy stocks. Well, as we talk about reopening, that will increase the demand for oil. So as we begin to see reopening and uh, economies begin to to flourish more, we will see oil prices rise. Another big thing, though, is I think the energy sector at this point presents pretty decent value if you think about where they are, especially as we think about companies moving towards more green. That is true, but to make that transition, we're still going to rely on a lot of uh, oil and, and hydrocarbons. So moving towards that battery power, we are still going to have to rely on the energy sector. And when you look at ExxonMobil and Chevron, they're still yielding 10 to 7% in dividends, which is re- 
really high for a dividend paying stock compared to where yields are on, on some of those other investments today. So it actually may be decent value looking to get into the energy sector now. Yeah, I think dividends are a huge component. I mean, we just brought up the fact that the 10 years yielding 0.77%. Vexon and Chevron are paying out you know 10% or 7% in dividends. That's I mean, that's where income investors are going to go. Um, the other thing, of course, is, I mean, and it's always a rough neighborhood, right, when we're talking about Central Asia and the Middle East, but Armenia and Azerbaijan have been clashing over the disputed uh, territory of the Gorni-Korbakh. Um, you know, we've seen the Russians back the Armenians, and then the Turks have backed uh, Azerbaijan, which is kind of, you know, a historical frame of alliances uh, so any military clashes, you know, within Central Asia and Middle East are, of course, going to, you know, express an element of political risk. And, and that that could cause prices to go up in the short term as well. Right. And we saw the Russian energy minister, Alexander Novak, say that the global oil market has been stable for the past couple of months. He's warning of a, of a second wave of coronavirus. But when the Russians are, are signaling a stable oil market, you got to take that with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then, I mean, moving back, you know, um, a lot of what's going to really center on the next few months of the market is whether or not House Democrats can get their $2.2 trillion rescue legislation through. Uh, Mitch McConnell has opposed the plan, but, you know, when we're looking at expiring unemployment benefits and PPP and, um, you know, just declining uh, social structures and, and uh, you know, um, Things, things to uphold our social fabric right now, it, it becomes very important that they do, you know, create another relief package and that it goes through, especially in, in the rise in rising cases. And we saw the president put pressure on Congress over the weekend to get a deal done with with his favorite weapon, Twitter, uh, quoting him here, uh, work together and get it done in all caps. The package looks like it will need to have some compromise. We're seeing that there would be uh, an, that enhanced in unemployment insurance at 650, or sorry, excuse me, 600 per week through January, then also send another 1,200 direct payments to most Americans. And then it would set aside for a second round of the PPP loans, uh, which is great. And then I think a big one, if we're thinking about large layoffs in the near future, is airlines. So uh, airlines drastically need help. This, this proposal gives them $25 billion in aid for airline payrolls. If that's not the case, we, we've already seen United and American Airlines say they're going to lay off thousands of workers. Uh, and then also this bill w- would help with rent and, and mortgage assistance. Uh, we, we are seeing that if this deal goes through, uh, it, it could really have a big bump on the market as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I think the president's certainly going to help push something through. I mean, we're a month out from an election. Um, just for Mitch McConnell to end up falling on the sword of austerity right now just doesn't seem to make much political sense. Um, and regardless of what people's feelings might be on Mitch McConnell, there is no doubt that he is a savvy, savvy, savvy political operative. So I, I think it is in everyone's best interest to get something um, through, uh, especially in light. You know, we saw a pretty weak jobs report in, in September, slight, quite a bit less than August. Uh, you know, I mean, so I mean, one point three seven million jobs were added in August and, it, you know, it was just significantly less in September. 
So we saw the unemployment rate uh, is projected to fall from 8.4 to 8.2. We saw leisure and hospitality expected to show jobs uh, as the economy begins to reopen again. And construction has been a strong area throughout as there has been a a surge in home building. One thing that we we should note is we did mention, so Disney did eliminate 28,000 jobs as they have not been able to open their parks in California. They've been remained closed, so that's going to be a big way and then I think we have seen that in some states that they have allowed for outdoor dining and um, in places like that. So if winter's coming and we're starting to see a cold spell where there's no longer that ability to have outdoor dining, we could see layoffs in, in the coming months as well. Yeah, I mean, you brought up home construction. I, I think one of the most interesting segments of this current recession is just how much housing prices have picked up throughout the world. I mean, when we're looking at middle-income and high-income comp, uh, countries in the second quarter, I mean, throughout rich countries, they rose at an annual rate of 5%. If we're looking from August to August of this, this year, I mean, Germany's home prices are up 11%. Uh, and you're really looking at three factors, which is monetary policy, fiscal policy, and um, a change in buyer's preferences that have really led to this housing boon uh, among, uh, amidst the global pandemic. Exactly. Well, it, the, the interesting thing is it's, it's global. So we're seeing rapid growth in, in parts of China as well as South Korea as uh, actually prompted the governments there to tighten restrictions on buyers. In America, we've seen the the median price per square foot accelerate more quickly uh, in the second quarter since the financial crisis in, in 2007. And I think you're absolutely right. We're seeing rates at all time low. The 30 year fixed mortgage is, is now below the median is now below three percent, which historically is a historic low. Um, and, and I think you're absolutely right. Fiscal policy is just adding to it and mortgage payments are, are now lower. So it's it's allowing uh, a lot more people to enter the market. Yeah, I mean, when we're looking at mortgage payments, Americans can take out a 30-year fixed rate mortgage uh, at an annual interest rate of just 2.9%. So that's down from you know 3.7% at the beginning of the year. Uh, in terms of fiscal policy, you know, we've certainly seen a lot more handouts in the form of four low schemes and wage uh, subsidies and expanded uh, welfare benefits. Um, so we've seen that across the globe as well. And, and then lastly, uh, in terms of buyer preferences, I mean, you have huge segments of the population still working remotely. So it's a great time to refurbish your home, because if your home is your home and your office, it, it, you, <laughs> you, want you want a upgrade. place not to suck. Right. So, yeah. So we've seen that. Uh, I mean, there has been some movement uh, from cities like San Francisco and New York, of course, uh, across the country. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see those numbers will play out um, a little bit more. Uh, interestingly, I was comparing uh, Bozeman to a number of cities and suburbs the other day in terms of uh, median home prices and um, median wages, just because you hear that, you know, mountain towns, Utah, Montana, you name it, have really been exploding. And uh, yeah, median home prices to median wages are 7.8x, right? So that's significantly higher than a lot of suburbs. I mean, it was higher than Palo Alto, it was higher than like Weston, Connecticut, higher than Barrington, Illinois, higher than a bunch of things I pulled from Realtor.com. So that shows that, uh, you know, you're going to see a lot of that as well. Um, people who are fleeing the cities, but then that 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 creates uh, a lot of demand in, in smaller towns. But I, I want to circle back to a point because you, you made a, a really strong point there is that we have seen 
uh, people upgrading their household appliances. And then with most, if not all, a lot of workers are working from home and that may be a full-time thing, upgrading, uh, moving out of the city so they no longer have those long commutes. And so therefore right now with with the low low rates, why not make that jump? Uh, so it, it, it does make sense. Uh, yeah. And uh, Grant, do you see anything else we should be, you know, we're overlooking currently? I don't know if overlooking, but I think uh, an interesting one is with all the fires in California, we're seeing that they're uh, tainting a lot of the grapes and we could see that that takes a, a deep toll on, on wine prices and wine production coming out of California, which is one of the largest producers. Uh, so I thought that was just kind of an, an interesting interesting point there. Uh, one thing we did mention, earnings season, I think we're going to see strong earnings. So we could see a bit of a bump from if, if we really see a strong outpace of, of expectations and then uh, following President Trump's recovery. I think if we continue to see good news, we, we could see markets rally. And if the opposite is true, we could see a decline. What do you want to look out for, Drew? Yeah, well, I mean, the rest of the campaign season, of course, you have the vice presidential debate on uh, Tuesday. Uh, but then we'll see what the future is for the remainder two of the presidentials in light of, you know, the, the health crisis in light of the fact that the Trump recently was uh, got COVID-19. So anything coming out of Capitol Hill within the next month is going to be big. And um, I really think that's all eyes are going to be on uh, for the next, you know, 28 or 29 days. That's going to be what, what you got to be wired in. And then um, and then we'll go from there, depending on the results. But. Anyway, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, really, really appreciate all the likes and subscribes. We'll talk to you next week and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.